at the end of the day, we're in a people business and how we can help people be successful. My job is not to take credit. My job is really to help people do great work. And, and if I can be a part of that, a silent part of that, I think that's great. Welcome to RevOps Rockstars in Pursuit of Unicorns. I'm David Carnes. And I'm Jaren Chu. Join us as we interview RevOps leaders to explore the challenges they have faced, the biggest lessons they've learned, and what they think makes a RevOps rockstar. This show is brought to you by OpFocus on a mission to help companies run their businesses better by letting you focus on growth while we scale your operations. Let's get this show on the road. Today, we're thrilled to have as a guest on the podcast, someone who's been a favorite of OpFocus for the last number of years, uh, a regular contributor to our roundtables, and really an expert on RevOps, on financial topics, and on just scaling SaaS companies in general. He's a, a, a senior director at JMI Equity. Uh, he's a seasoned advisor to their portfolio companies. I'd like to welcome Jeremy Curley to today's uh, episode. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. I have not been called an expert or a rock star very much, so I, I do appreciate the intro. Well, you are today. You are thanks, today. Thanks for having me. Jeremy, right off the bat, I'd love to dive in and say and understand from you, when a new company joins the JMI portfolio and your bat phone rings and you're called to parachute in to help them out, to evaluate where they are, what's going on with their operations. What are some of those areas in RevOps that you see the most issues in and that you start to review first? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and I will say, you know, we are growth equity. So we are investing in companies all along the growth spectrum. So no two companies are alike. So and I think one of the important and, and fun things about my role is that every company is different. And, and it's really important for us to understand that and meet them where they are. Um, you know, w- when I think about areas we tend to focus on a lot, obviously, just data quality and, and really starting from a place of what are what are key metrics that uh, drive success in this organization and how do we make them as transparent as possible um, for the company and for us as partners to meet them where they are and, and, and help drive growth and improvement in those metrics. So I'd say data is one thing. Um, from a RevOps perspective, segmentation is also something really critical. Whether you're a vertical market company, whether you, you sell into horizontal, we have firm belief that, you know, really having a, a clear understanding of your ICP and where you have a greater right to win and where you have differentiate, differentiation, um, you know, what are the two to three things you do better than anyone else? And really understanding that helps form the basis for us to help in a lot of other areas around messaging, positioning, around uh, adding additional data and accounts uh, into the database segmentation of the sales team, you know, marketing resources, all of those things. Uh, so those would probably be the two 
key areas, but I would say, you know, when we start, we have pretty good alignment with the executive team on what are the three to five key initiatives that will optimize value in the company. And our job is to wedge in where we can be helpful and where, where we're wanted, uh, you know, we could be strategic uh, and help. We could get in the weeds right next to the executive teams and, and, and do the work. Um, so, so we're very flexible in terms of our engagement approach. What I like also what you described here, Jeremy, is things we you just mentioned, understanding and clarifying ICP, making sure the differentiation is clear, the messaging and positioning, having reviewed your background and your experiences, which I know we're going to dive into later in the podcast, you know, you have a very sales heavy background, sales ops, uh, planning and strategy related to sales. And so when you describe these things, you know, I'm obviously involved in marketing, the inner marketer in me gets really excited. I'm like, ah, you know, like the investors care about making sure not only are we doing the right things, but we're doing it with the right people, right? We are selling it to the right people first. So I'm wondering, you know, given that initial sort of marketing centric focus, are there some things that you would do on the sales ops side, uh, forecasting related that are also kind of those first, you know, 30, 90, 30 to 90 days uh, that you'd want to review as well? Yeah, I mean, I mean, one of the first things, uh, you know, we do like predictable revenue, right? Like and understanding the growth algorithm. So forecasting, I mean, and that's typically started in diligence, really understanding conversion rates, pipeline coverage, um, velocity of deals, how much in quarter bookings or a starting pipeline, you know, the pipeline waterfall, right? Uh, and really understanding the business. Um, so, so forecasting definitely is something that is one of the early things we're working on. And, and we're a lot of times we're implementing a standard weekly dashboard. Um, that's like a go-to-market dashboard that really shows, you know, weekly bookings against like historical weekly attainment, along with pipeline coverage based on forecast category or stage, wherever they are. Cause we don't want to, I think a lot of people fall into the trap of like, what is best practice unless let's implement best practice. But I'm a firm believer, you got to meet organizations where they are and you need to get alignment. And sometimes you got to move a little slower to eventually move fast and get to where you want to go. But definitely forecasting from that segmentation, you know, a lot can come around territories, just quota, sales capacity. Do we have enough uh, what sales enablement? How do we onboard reps? How many reps do we need to meet our bookings plan? Um, how many territories do we need? And a lot of times companies that have you know, three sales reps and all of a sudden we're saying we're going to go to 12, they've never done that before. Um, so that's somewhere we can lean in from a RevOps perspective and really be helpful. Oh, that's so interesting. You mentioned uh, in your first answer, growth equity. And I'm curious if we come up a few levels and just uh, if you could share with us, so JMI equity, um, what is the investment thesis and how might it differ from other growth equity firms? Well, there's a lot of different models in, in, in private equity. I think growth equity, you know, we're making investments a lot of times in companies that are between 10, 50 million in ARR, probably the average is like 20 million in ARR, and they're growing companies. Um, so, you know, if you go earlier, sometimes, um, some companies are really early, maybe 
don't have any revenue, right? Like they have a really good idea um, and venture capital, um, it, it, you know, is invested to, to make that idea a reality. And I think growth equity, you know, th- we have product market fit. Um, we have customers. <laughs> we have really good gross retention. Uh, we, we, we really do a lot of diligence on product to ensure that, you know, we have good product quality. So we try not to take product risk. Um, and so like at companies at a certain scale that, that are in that growth mode, um, you know, that's where we're making our investments and, and, and our job from an operator is to, to help accelerate that growth. Um, and, you know, based on having invested in a lot of different B2B growth SaaS companies, being able to see around corners, understanding that, you know, scaling growth can be very hard. Um, and we've made a lot of mistakes and we want to share those with the portfolio so, so they don't make them as well. That's so interesting. So you shared that you're investing in companies of, of different sizes and they're in different points in the, in their growth. I'm curious, how do you advise these portfolio companies to spend resources and target the right segments? Well, a lot of it comes to data. I mean, I, you know, we we invest in in great leadership teams, so so they they know it. Um, they've just have seen it in, in day to day. They're they're in the business more than we will ever be. Um, so they understand their business. So they know intrinsically like where they win more. I think when we provide the data, it helps really hone in on the the right allocation of resources to optimize that. Um, so it doesn't really take a lot of selling when you show the data and you show, okay, in, in segments A, B, C, we have a 40% win rate. In segments like D, E, and F, you know, we have a 15% win rate and it, and it represents 50% of our losses. Um, when you start showing data around that, people start to really understand, man, we're, we're taking up a lot of overall company capacity going after these segments that we don't have as good a product market fit as some of these other segments. And, and we're big on focus. So, you know, what we work with them on is like, okay, how do we, how do we build a database that has that really good ICP that we're, we're ranking accounts based on propensity to buy that we're building territories based on that. Cause that can drive the most amount of equitable territories and put sales reps in a position to be successful. Um, and, and then one, and then, you know, the results, start to happen. So it's not just like necessarily cutting something off and but those small tweaks a lot of times start to show up in the numbers and that's where you get a lot of alignment. So it must be fascinating. You're starting with companies who all have a different starting point with their infrastructure. And you talk about reporting. Reporting relies on data to be in systems and structured so that you can pull it out and take advantage of it. I'm curious, how do you help companies build out their RevOps infrastructure? Like you said, it starts with data. So really it's around ICP. Okay, let's let's figure out what that what that world is. Um, what's the overall TAM? How many how many accounts are in there? 
how many so these are these are the areas we want to play in these are the areas we want to sell to um what are the you know buyer personas there what are the titles right um and then and then we'll enrich the database with that segment and make sure that we have all of that that market that we want to we want to target right so th- that's first and that, then i think second a lot of companies want to jump to tech right and so like have a big tech stack um there's a lot of great revops technologies but uh, a lot of times we want to focus on the process first. Let's understand the process. Let's build good processes. It's not going to be as efficient, but it'll be right. And we'll have the opportunity to fix it. And then once we get to a certain point where we have process, we have documented processes, they are working. We've somewhat built the machine. Then we'll start to layer on technology over that to drive greater optimization and and greater just effectiveness of you know, across the go-to-market stack. For instance, for an example, like before we get, you know, uh, you know, before we get a churn zero or gain site, right? We want to do customer segmentation. We want to understand what is our, let's segment the customer base. Let's figure out um, how we want to do that and then figure out our engagement model against those different segments. Then once we understand that and have that documented, then we layer on the deck that can help us do it so much better. Yeah, that's very helpful color. As I'm hearing the kinds of ways you're advising a portco, I, I'm kind of looking for maybe a, a, a broader idea of like how you engage with various members of the RevOps team. Is it typically primarily advising that RevOps leader? Does that um, engagement involve other folks over time? You know, how does it differ? How does it evolve and shift? You know, first 90 days when the investment uh, happens versus like, say, a year in, two years in, I'm sure your role looks quite different with each of those port codes over time. Yeah. And, 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 you know, RevOps is just a piece of it. Like we, we, in our roles, we need to be generalists and we really need to get alignment with the CEOs and the, and the executive team. And that's, that's who we're trying to build relationships with and, and build that trust and execute on the value creation plan. I tend to, you know, like based on my background, I tend to work a lot with RevOps teams, but um, that isn't that isn't the goal. The goal might be like, how do we how do we scale the sales team? And so, like, I'll work with the CRO, CSO, CMO, um, CFO, and 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 then have an overall plan and approach of how we are going to do that. And then I might work with RevOps to execute on that plan. Um, and a lot of times my role is not to do it, although sometimes I need to. Sometimes I don't even have anyone in RevOps. And um, I do love I do love that work. So I like to get my hands dirty. But at the end of the day, my job, like I, I want to work with them um partner with them and then like moving forward, they don't need me to do some of that work. You know, like that's um that's the best for the portfolio company and that's the best for for JMI for us to do that. Um so so it does evolve over time and then but there's always projects we might do MA so we have an integration. So there's a lot of different projects that come up. We might need to implement 
CPQ, David, we've, we've done some of those together. Um, so like then it, sometimes it get, it's, it's very big projects. Sometimes it's initiatives. Um, but I always try to try to stay close to RevOps because that is where a lot of the reporting and business transparency um, and, and, and just that knowledge cadence comes from. So having a good good alignment with the board, with the executive team on what are the KPIs, how much are we going to be looking at them, when are we going to be looking at them, in what format, what's the definition, when are they going to be sent out. So everyone is aligned on what drives success here and let's keep score. And in week three of the quarter, let's figure out that something is not going right because we have time to fix it versus finding out week 13, you know? Yeah. I think so much of what you're describing is um, visibility, transparency, and being able to trust the information that gets reported up and starting at that foundational level and making sure that the the entire business, not just the executives, but of course, as the investors, we can all trust and know that we're looking at the same set of dash dashboards. With, with so many of the RevOps audience we have for the podcast, the folks that are listening, would you say like, are there anything they could do or they should do more of if there's an operator like yourself involved that they should be taking advantage of? Like, how would you encourage them to work with you so that they're maximizing kind of the value that they can get um, from you as an operator? Yeah, I mean, and I, I tell this to people all the time, like we're... If I am being successful, they will view me as an extension of their team. Um, Because it's very important for me, you know, like how I rate myself and my performance, you know, like there is company performance, there's the value creation plan we have to develop, which is a scorecard. It's very outcome driven. So that keeps score. But what what is also important to me is is building relationships and being a trusted advisor with executive teams and it's and it's i take great pride in companies succeeding but also just careers and in people succeeding and at the end of the day we're in a people business and how we can help people be successful um my job is not to take credit my job is really to help people do great work. And if I can be a part of that, a silent part of that, I think that's great. And so how I how I try to position that with people is just like you, you mentioned the bat phone. I use that term all the time. You have the bat phone. Call me nights, weekends, whenever you need advice. Um, if you're struggling with something, use me as a resource, use me as an extension of your team. Um, and it's, at the end of the day, it's still your work. Uh, I am only there to help you and make you successful. So I think people taking advantage of that, and a lot of people do. Um, and, and then I think another key thing is just to drive as much business transparency and communication as possible. Because like, like I said, in the best situations, the best companies – have that early sounding alarm when something isn't going good um and having more resources that can that can look at that and 
figure out what we need to do to uh, understand the root cause and improve that, the, the better we all are. Um, and I think, you know, the, the one thing that separates when I think about great RevOps leaders versus others who are also good, data tells a story. So when you look at a spreadsheet, some people just say, see a bunch of numbers. Some people see a story. So sometimes I get this spreadsheet or this data analysis and I look at it and right away, I'm like, this can't be right. Because this story just doesn't make sense, right? But really good RevOps leaders will review that and they'll catch it. Um, and they're already, I think they have a curiosity to really understand why things are the way they are and what are the different variables that feed into this bigger KPI uh, and, and what levers can we pull to really drive improvement in that. And when they see that story doesn't jive, they're already diving in finding the root cause, coming up with areas of opportunity to drive improvement. What really strikes me in your answers, Jeremy, is not only in how thoughtful you are sharing the way you're approaching all of this, but also I think that real sense of shared success and collaboration comes through very clearly. Obviously, as a private equity investor, the success of the business, success of that team will positively reflect on each of you. And in in a really in a real way, you are in the same boat together. Mm-hmm. And so I'm gonna push you just a bit more and ask kind of the flip side of the coin of the question I just asked, which is are there times, you know, you mentioned they're really great RevOps leaders. Are there times when a RevOps team might disappoint you? Um, where they might not be spending time and resources in the right place, where they might not be seeing that story and, you know, kind of sharing this contradictory data. Um, what are some examples of that? And like, how how would you advise folks to prevent that from happening? I mean, we all started somewhere, right? And I think, um, you know, when I first started in RevOps, it was all about the data. It was all about the spreadsheets. And one of the key things I learned is like, that data is great, but at the end of the day, it's the people and it's the execution that actually drives all the value. So get out of the spreadsheets. So I, you know, my first my first approach to that is to try to be a mentor, to try to help them. Um, and, and if that takes me working late and doing some of the work, I, that is perfectly fine. Because again, my job is to make them successful. Now that company deserves and needs to have good data, good transparency, good reporting. That That is critical to the success of the organization. So sometimes we have to make hard decisions. But I always want to ensure that everyone is in a position to be successful. So if I need to invest more time um, in doing some work, showing some people some some of the things I've learned or some of the things I've learned from other portfolio companies, other RevOps. I mean, one of the beauties of my job is I get to meet so many great RevOps leaders and they all, I learned something from every single one of them. Um, and I try to pass that on. Um, so I would say more often than not, just leaning in a little bit more, setting clear expectations of what we're looking for, finding the teaching moments in terms of like, you can't send this out like this and and here's why. And here are some things you should look at moving forward to ensure that that data is correct. And guess what? Next time, send it to me and we'll walk through it 
before you send it out, right? So there's little things like that. Um, and I would say the majority of time, people want to do good. So like if you invest in them, uh, I'm a firm believer. I, I won't talk about the exceptions because I would say that's more the rule. Yeah, that's so great. And knowing that, you know, no one's going to school to learn RevOps, you know, not yet. It hasn't become a, an official course or, or a degree. What you're doing is just so incredibly important and valuable. I know one of our uh, one of our mutual uh, friends has uh, been working within one of your portfolio companies for the last four to six months, and she loves that she can lean on you with questions like that. And that's uh, great to hear. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so just I guess sticking on this topic for for a minute, just and you talking about success. Uh, how do you measure RevOps success across the portfolio? So you mentioned there are a handful of metrics, you know that that you're tracking. Um, may, are there other uh, you know conditions or areas that help you define you know who's being successful, maybe who isn't being as successful? As you know, there's so many different variables. So so like, um, I don't want to look at one metric and say like somebody's good or bad. Like some people are just in great markets, right? Like, and, and things grow regardless of what people do. Um, I would say the things I do focus on are obviously hitting budget, like forecast accuracy, I think is something that's really important, right? Um, and if you understand the data, um, and if you put in the work to build, to understand the correlations and what drives bookings and, you know, like velocity, conversion rate, stage conversion, um, you know, you can get pretty good at forecasting. There's a lot of great technologies out there that, that help you do that even better. Um, other things I look at are are just overall repetitment. Like I I want people to set up plans that, put people in a position to be successful and, and not only just rep attainment, but rep productivity and optimizing that. Are we seeing improvement in rep productivity? Are we seeing a good distribution of rep quota attainment? So like we don't have just the winners and the losers uh, and that that's somewhat, it, it's not always the case, but a lot of times that is how well are you optimizing, you know, territories and segments within your business. Um, and that, that's a critical one because I, I feel like, you know, repetition is one of those things that I, I, I know a decent amount of people talk about it, but I don't think it's enough talk about it because they somewhat blame like, oh, the, they left because of the manager. But then I look at some of these stats and I'm like, they left because you gave them a quota that was not attainable and they did not make money. And typically, the ones that leave are not your underperformers. They're your best reps uh, who can leave and have other opportunities. So, um, you know, I probably the thing I look at the most to understand how good of a grasp RevOps has on the business is th their go-to-market strategy at the beginning of the year. And the variables they're looking at, the data they're looking at, how cross-functional they're being in terms of driving alignment across the business, the targets they are setting. You know, that's a, it's a tough job um, and there's a lot of difference. So I don't want to oversimplify with my answer, but, but those are some things I'd look at. 
So I know a number of people listening today are interested in what somebody does who's on an operational excellence team. Uh, I'm curious, what does your day-to-day look like? <laughs> Every day is the, the reason I love this job. I, I feel like I have the best job in the world. It, it, it's a lot of, um, there's context switching a lot. You're in internal meetings here. You're potentially meeting with a CEO on an update on the value creation plan. You're meeting with a CMO who's looking to uh, uh, improve demand gen. You're talking to, you're interviewing some people that we're trying to hire in the portfolio. Um, you're meeting with RevOps on a, on on helping them build out a forecast. Um, I have a, a a customer segmentation call tomorrow. I have a call tomorrow around um, around implementing renewals in Salesforce, and that's right before a board meeting um, that I'll attend. So, like. It goes across the board um, in terms of meeting, meeting with executive team. Some are projects related. Sometimes some I'm trying to go deep. Some I'm just trying to give advice or or, or get status. Um, but but it is it is all across the board because, like I said, from our seat, we need to be uh, we need to help the portfolio any way we can. That's how we add value. Um, so however they need us, we try to be there or, or bring the resources that can really execute on that. Um, so every day is different. Every week's different. Um, but what I always tell people, it's all work worth doing. And, um, and, and that's why I feel like it's the best job. Yeah. It's just so fascinating. And I know that you, you know, you're so gracious to spend this time with us. You've probably been on 15 back-to-back calls already. Uh, today with portfolios all portfolio companies all over. Um, so I, I bet that there are a number of ways to measure the success of the operational excellence team. You know, are the portfolio companies able to scale? Yep. Because you're investing and they're starting in all different parts or all different places with their processes, with their tech stack, with their data, with their analytics. Um, so h- how would you say that your team is is measured just sort of given all the variables? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's company performance, um, and I think taking that down a level, it's it's the value creation plan. We have alignment on the three to five things that are going to optimize value in the company, um, and then it, you know we work, you know, at JMI, it's one team across the deal team and our operating group, but we work together to make sure we're executing on that value creation plan, and, and they're very the value creation plan is very outcome oriented. So that's really the scorecard. And then like if we execute on that and performance still isn't better, we need to reassess and really look look to say like, okay, um, those were the three to five things. We execute on them. We still have areas of opportunity. Let's let's figure out what we can do to help drive improvement here. Um, and this is this is not in a silo. This isn't in some room. This is with the company, and, and figuring out how we can work together to optimize growth. And you know, we've had a lot of that over the last few years. There's been a lot of um, a lot of change, and and that might be the uh, that might um, you know 
underestimate all the different types of change we've seen. And there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, so we've had to do a lot of that. But I think being aligned with the portfolio is the most critical thing because then you can move fast. Then you can see around corners. You can figure out when things aren't going to plan and then reassess and then execute. So I want to shift gears and talk about due diligence for a moment. Your uh, people that do what you do invariably are involved in uh, vetting uh, companies that might become part of your portfolio. I'm curious within RevOps, is there something that's a red flag when you're doing due diligence that just sort of makes you makes you pause or, or have concern specific to RevOps? Yeah, specific to RevOps. I would say like not, I'm going to go back to the ICP, um, not being able to clearly define where you win and why you win. I think that's one. Um, I think not having a clear growth algorithm, right? Like not, not having predictable revenue in any way, right? Um, and it seems very lumpy. And in some, and guess what? Like, there are businesses that have, you know, closed one, two deals a quarter and are great. Um, but I still think you you have a growth al- algorithm there and you can understand that and you're not may- maybe looking at it quarterly anymore. You're looking at maybe like, uh, you know, two halves to the year or or yearly. But I think, you know, when the, there doesn't seem to be, the, the, when you look back at the data, when you look at, it just doesn't. You, you don't know what you need to do to really drive, conti- which is where growth equity. Like, what can we do? What resources we can, can we bring to bear to grow this company? And if it's difficult to answer that question, that's a yellow flag. Now, I also want to say that a lot of times yellow flags are opportunities. So you need to understand and you need to do the work to understand, is this really, is this a market thing, a company thing, or is it execution? And if it's execution, like that's not, that's an opportunity that we can work with them to drive improvement. All right, Jeremy, I think one of the most fun parts of the podcast is finding out a little bit more about who you are. Uh, you studied at Stonewall College, you studied managerial economics, sounds perfect for what you're doing right now. That's not always true. Uh, you did an MBA here in the Boston area at Babson College, very cool. You've You've been in charge of growth operations. So previously at Waystar, um, you were also at Bomgar. Sorry if I said it incorrectly. And then you had eight years at Monster, which must have been fascinating just considering that company's growth and trajectory over the years. How did you get into this uh, operations role, this operational excellence role uh, within private equity? Yeah, I mean, I I might start with just the experience in, in, in customer success, because I don't think people make this parallel enough, but customer success has a tremendous amount of data. And, um, you know, we were forecasting 15, 30-minute increments and in, in trying to match up capacity to that. We had quality programs. We were listening to calls, scoring people on quality, Um you know, and it was re- really important because it's a little bit, it's a cost center, right? It, we had to be really good and really accurate. So I, 
I, I felt like that background really helped me. It's not the same. There's different variables, but the, the mentality is insane. It's like, how do we take these limited resources and and and, and drive as much you know productivity and and optimize performance as much as possible? Um, I, I did realize like this isn't what I wanted to do, um, and I, I got uh, I had met somebody who a consultant who who got me in at at a a B2B growth SaaS company was founder, founder led at the time. Um, and I was more of a consultant at the time, like customer consultant, help them optimize their, their services. Um, but I had that again, again, I had that curiosity to understand why things are the way they are. So I started looking at data, started looking at Salesforce, understanding, um, understanding conversion rates and, and those things, and 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 luckily the the head of sales noticed, and he's like, he brought me over and said, like, I I know you haven't done this before, but you're asking the right questions, you're looking at the right data, you're you're wired that way. I think you'd be successful here. So that's that's how I got my start, um, and I've loved it ever since. You're coming up on almost five years, uh, I think, in a month or next month. Uh, yeah. Maybe by the time this podcast is out, you, it will, <laughs> yeah. you'll, you've already gone through your work anniversary. What would be advice you give yourself on day one of the role, knowing what you know today? That, that is a good one. It, it is a much different role. Um, you know, I think when you are in a company um, and you have a team, you know, the first three, six months, you're, you're building equity and, uh, for the most part, that stays with you, right? Like uh, you know the you know all the people, and and you can just get in execution mode. In, in this role, you're building equity every day. You're meeting new companies every day, right? Like so, so there's a challenge. Um, I think my my advice would be be a sponge, build build relationships, and continue to learn, right? Like and um, and don't try to do too much, right? Like I, I do feel like uh, when you start, you're always trying to add as much value as possible. And that's some, something I've always struggled with. Like the most stressful times in my career haven't been, have been where, times that I was, I, I felt like I wasn't adding as much value as I could to organizations. Um, but I would say stick with it because it, because it is easy. The first year is probably, pretty tough when you're moving from that type of structure to this type of structure. It's just different, different skill sets. So, so I might give a few books. I might, there might be some, some additional feedback, but I would, I would just say, learn as much as you can stick with it. Um, ask questions um, and, and, and find ways to add value. We're coming up on probably 30 some episodes at, on the podcast and Awesome. At least probably like a half dozen of the heads of RevOps on the podcast have mentioned, oh, you know, as part of their career bucket list, they would at some point love to work in an operating excellence team or maybe work in private equity. What kinds of experience would you encourage uh, our audience and our listeners to develop if they wanted to take a similar path that you've taken going from in-house to now being able to work with dozens and dozens of companies every day? Yeah, I think... Th- 
I think probably the, the biggest piece of advice I would do is to get in a private equity portfolio. Um, I do feel like RevOps works with uh, private equity more just because of the nature of their job. Uh, you know, they, they own a lot of the data and they're presenting a lot of the data. So I'd say that I would say do hard things. I mean, M&A integration, you know, uh, migration of like, if you, if you have on-prem to SaaS opportunities, there's these things that are very hard. CPQ implementation, like those cross-functional projects that really show your ability to work uh, with people who you might not have uh, authority over and in, in, in execute and get things done. I think that tells a lot about about uh, a person. Um, but I would say like getting in getting into a, a PE portfolio company would be this first step. So uh, Jeremy, you and I have had lots of conversations over the last number of years as part of roundtables and uh, you know other other situations where we're digging into a topic. You seem all in in every conversation, and I love that. I think it's fantastic, really willing to get down into the weeds to dig through something and whatnot. I'm curious, after these back-to-back-to-back days that you must have, Zoom call to Zoom call, uh, challenge to challenge that you're solving, uh, how do you unwind from all this? (laughs) Do you have any advice? (laughs) I, I still struggle with this. Like I, I uh, you know, these are we, we all have hard jobs, and and I have a family I care about, um, and I'm always trying to be better in every aspect. Um, and so I, you know, um, you know, some of the key things that I've found is like work out as much as possible. If I don't work out for a couple of days in a row, like I'm sluggish. Like I don't have the energy. I'm, I don't have the mood. Um, so, so that's critical. And, 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 you know, like I try to create intentional habits that will um, allow me to be intentional and present, present for the things I care about. So when I go home, I try to put the phone away. I change clothes to get out of my work clothes, get into like, like uh, shorts or whatever, like my, my home clothes, right? And just those acts of habits will will some sometimes allow me to so, somewhat shut off the brain from the from the other the other work. Some nights I can't do that. Some nights I have to be on. But but when I can, it's always about just what do you care about? How can you be intentional? What are you willing to sacrifice to do that? Um, and then be disciplined. You know, like. And I would say the things are, you know, working out. I just started training jujitsu probably two and a half months ago. Ooh. That has been really, I stink at it. And that, that, but that's the value. It's like so humbling. There's so much to learn. Um, but when I'm there, there's nothing else. It's, it's an hour, hour and a half of like my, a clear mind. I'm focused. Um, so finding those little outlets to, not be good at something or learning a new skill. Um, and, you know, just just make sure you carve out time for the things that are important to your life. Because I'm not sure 
there's many of us that our only interest is RevOps, right? Like it's a big interest and we spend majority of our time doing it, but find those other things. All right, we're gonna we're gonna try to dig up some video of you in your Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, <laughs> in a tournament or something. Wouldn't that be great? And and aside from being an awesome contributor to some of OpFocus's RevOps roundtables uh, across the many years, what other resources have you turned to for your learning? I used to read a lot. I listen a lot now, like so, like a lot of audiobooks, a lot of podcasts, specific um, volumes or podcasts you're following. You call out. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I'll try to find anything specifically around sales. There's not a ton of RevOps ones. I mean, just business in general. Like I like diary of a CEO, like that's something. And that's more of a, the, the, that isn't really for work. That's more like, I'm just interested in the conversations of really successful people. Um, but, um, you know, I try to have a couple books going at a time. Um, I'm not, I, you know, it's been a busy few months. I haven't, I need to get back on that. Yeah. I think we found the same with our round table. So I think, you know, kind of, kind of similar, uh, sharing challenges, sharing experiences, uh, just so, so valuable. So Jeremy, thank you so much. Like I want to ask you, uh, where people can find you. Uh, I know you're out on LinkedIn. Are, are you on any other social media? sites where people can find you? LinkedIn is probably the easiest. Okay. And then uh, the JMI website is probably a good place to learn more about JMI equity. Yep. Just JMI.com. Mm -hmm. Great. Jeremy, it's really been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Uh, we appreciate you taking this much time sharing so many of your experiences. I really liked hearing about uh, implementing a, a, a standard weekly dashboard and also uh, figuring out the metrics for historical weekly at attainment. Um, I really love your background starting out in customer success and how that's proven to be relevant. And even some of the metrics that you had to do and that discipline around those metrics has, has uh, served you well throughout the career. Um, you shared advice on being a sponge. You shared uh, advice on building relationships, regardless of the role early on that that builds up equity that you you can take advantage and tap into and then just that overall theme of continuing to learn. Uh, it's really been a pleasure having you on the podcast today, Jeremy. I, I greatly appreciate the invite. Again, when I saw the title, I'm like, why are you asking me? But um, David, I've always had, uh, I, I attend a lot of your little round, ta your, your round tables and your monthly meetings. And I've always had a great, great amount of respect. So I appreciate what you've done for the, for the RevOps community. Um, Everyone needs to go out and buy David's new book. It's really great on reporting dashboards. Do you want to want to flow that up there? Yep. Um, and a pleasure. I look forward. I look forward to future speakers and anywhere I can be helpful to the broader RevOps community. Um, look me up. Uh, I'm available and and uh, call me. Send me an email. Connect with me on social media. I would I would love to meet you. And I also want to thank our audience for continuing along with our show for the last almost 20, 30 episodes, um, listening to our Congrats. chit chats and conversations with amazing people like you, Jeremy. 
And, um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm most interested in at some point seeing you choke out someone on the mat, sure. uh, <laughs> practicing BJJ <laughs> and then leaving RevOps just far in the dust, uh, not needing to worry about solving business problems and just focusing on the mat. Um, loved everything you've shared today. You bring so much humility and also just, um, this sense of, Hey, we're growing together. We're collaborating together. We're in it together. The teaching moments when you described how you found those opportunities to educate a RevOps leader, you know, assuming that they have the best intentions, that they didn't want to do better. It may, really made me think how, you know, that growth equity uh, operating excellence role feels a bit like a parent for a growing business and really enjoyed all these lessons and gems you've shared. So thank you again for taking the hour to um, share with our audience so much from your work today. No, I gr greatly appreciate it. Uh, appreciate uh, the words, and I appreciate your time as well. Um, and look forward to future conversations. Wonderful, and this has been another exciting episode of RevOps Rockstars. See you next time. Stay classy, Rockstars. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us. For show notes and other episodes, visit RevOpsRockstars.com. RevOps Rockstars is sponsored by OptFocus. Visit OptFocus.com to learn more about how OptFocus helps SaaS companies scale their revenue operations.